so last time we spoke, you were going to see Face Off at the Academy uh, Museum and, and, and screening room. Have you seen any other wild and fantastical screenings at that wonderful venue since then? This is not in the same lane, I would say, but I did recently <laughs> see Nashville there, which was oh, incredible. That would be because great. I think I've only seen it like a couple times at home. And of course, at home, you, you're, you're a little more distracted. Right. And it's right. Robert Altman. It's a long movie. So yeah. then being able to sit in the theater, especially at the Academy Museum, and just like focus on everything and trying to pick up what everyone's saying. Norma Jean? Was Norma Jean? Everybody, give yeah. me a list, Joma Jean. When they opened our Cinematheque here in Toronto, the Tiff Bell Lightbox, that was the first film that I ever saw there. So that was my introduction to that space. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was great. And I think I think that was actually also the first time I ever saw that movie, too. Oh, well, I mean, that's a perfect way to see it in the theater. Oh, man. And it really I've... enhanced my opinion of it. Because, I mean, obviously, I thought it was good. But then seeing mm. it nice and big and then with yeah. Dolby sound, too, yeah. just kind of like brought it up even more in my opinion yeah. i'm due for a rewatch so thank you for reminding me welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada you are listening to episode 307 of the matinee cast it's the movie loving podcast of the matinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective it's funny the way our rhythms in life go one minute you're seeing somebody every weekend the next thing you know months or even years go by the opposite is true too someone is just an acquaintance or a friend of a friend and suddenly they become your lunch buddy or the person you say hello to on the way to the coffee shop every morning this podcast is a little like that my loops with my guests sometimes leave me years in between bringing them by meanwhile with others suddenly they become people i reach to with a high degree of regularity Today's guest is sort of in that second category, and I'm all the better for it because for a while she was in that first category, and she always brings a great deal of warmth and insight to the conversations we have here. We are across the wire to Los Angeles, California tonight, and Keisha Howarth is here. How are you? I'm good, and I've noticed our annual conversations, the gap between them are shorter and shorter, yeah. so I really look forward to talking with you about movies. You're on the you're on the roster, and my goal for tonight is not to call you Keisha Horvath. <laughs> well, I mean, you're doing well so far. So far, so good. Let's see how we can do. On episode 307, we're going to be turning around on a little bit of short rest, so we're going to leave Know Your Enemy until next time. Uh, we've had Keisha on a few times. Look in the show notes. You can see some of our past episodes, um, and we've talked about some cool movies, so, so do take a listen and learn a little bit more about Keisha. Um, but today, we are going to go straight to the new slang. We are going to be discussing You Hurt My Feelings. My Feelings is written and directed by Nicole Holofcener. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Tobias Menzies, Michaela Watkins, Arian Moyed, and Owen Teague. You Hurt My Feelings is the story of Beth and Dawn, a novelist and a therapist who have been married for many years. Both of them are having a moment where they are struggling in their individual careers and having a crisis of confidence. The entire situation is made a whole lot worse when Beth overhears something that she isn't meant to hear. 
and the trust in their marriage takes a massive hit. So it goes that feelings must be explored, expectations must be understood, and we all need to take a long, hard look at our relationship with the truth. We often talk on this podcast about the nature of stakes. What is film, after all, but storytelling where we are asked to be emotionally invested in a world because something important is in crisis? As we go to the cinema month after month, we watch people try to cheat death, try to save lives, or try to stop the entire world from being destroyed. And then we get a movie like You Hurt My Feelings, all contained to a few weeks and a few blocks in the lives of one New York family. So, pop quiz hotshot, is this movie high or low stakes? I mean, I would say, like, compared to the blockbusters you alluded to, it's very low stakes, but it's high stakes within the world that's created for the story. That's kind of where I was going with that. And I kind of hope that you'll talk a little bit more about that. New York is not going to explode, you know, if if Beth and Dawn cannot work out this problem that they find themselves in, but their individual worlds might get turned on their head. Yeah, I mean, it's a very insular world and where um, they both kind of have parallel professional issues that they're kind of working through. And then they kind of go into each other when Beth finds out what Dawn thinks of her latest novel. You know, what's what's interesting about that as a setup, what's interesting about that as a premise is Beth's work is so much more forward in their relationship just based on the nature of the fact that she's a writer and she can share her work. Yeah, because with Don, you only get kind of his perspective on what he tells her of what happened at work. Well, there's that, Whereas and I mean, it's just just the need, just the very nature of being a therapist, right? Like, true, there's only, yeah. There's only so much he can tell her for starters. Yeah, he's always going to be telling it from his perspective. They're both struggling, you know. They they both kind of yeah. reach the point in their in their vocation where they're not quite on their A game the way they would have been when they were first getting into it or first breaking through. Um, and her moment of crisis is just much more public, whereas his is between him and his patients, and we can see it. But she can't because she's not going to be like mm-hmm. sitting in the corner taking notes. I mean, they've, they're both middle aged and they've reached, as you said, that point where it's kind of like they're settled. But then it's now like they're not progressing the way they would like to as they would have like been doing 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So then um, with the, them being more settled in their lives, it's kind of like their profession is part of their personal identity as well. And then Beth is trying to deal with what Dawn's opinion of her professional work is and how it impacts, I guess, her personal identity and what he what she perceives is his opinion of her overall. It's 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 really difficult for somebody like Beth because I mean, you and I do other things along with being podcasters and being writers, but for Beth, this is this is her whole being. She is a mm-hmm. writer. And if people don't appreciate her writing or aren't drawn to her writing, then her very her very being is all of a sudden called into question. It's not like, you know, if I have a bad podcast, okay, you know, I'm, I'm I'll be all right. Yeah. I'll I'll <laughs> fix I'll fix a better cocktail tomorrow. I'll take a better picture tomorrow. Not to mention, you know, what I do that actually pays me. I'll just throw my weight into mm-hmm. that. That's fine. But you know, with Beth, it's like if one book of hers is is poorly received, that's years of professional, emotional, uh, intellectual investment that's gone. 
I mean, she also does teach a college course on writing, but then again, that's still part of her yeah. identity. And then just even like from her students getting their perception of her and what they do or don't think of her work kind yeah. of has that same sort of. We didn't actually talk about this before we sat down to do this podcast, but what did you, uh, what did you think of um, You Hurt My Feelings? I mean, I enjoyed it overall and I did see it at, well, it was an advanced screening just by like one week before it's limited release. So it was a packed mm -hmm. theater. So I feel like just being in that environment might have enhanced sure. my thoughts on the movie because people were really like laughing at a lot of <laughs> scenes, like especially the therapy scenes. In general, I do um, enjoy Nicole Hall of Center's films. Mm -hmm. I maybe don't feel as strongly on them as others may, but I mean, overall, I thought it was pretty good movie. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I really, really liked it. I didn't like lose my mind over it. It's it's definitely one that I think people should seek out and, and should watch um, in one form or another. Um, I, um, I, you know, we were talking off air about how I just went in on uh, uh, reputation. I went in on Whole of Center has made another mm -hmm. movie and she made it with Julia Louis Dreyfus again. Okay, I'm just going to go see it. You know, like I, I don't need to exactly. I don't need to see some big robots this weekend. I'm fine. Um, so I went in with without knowing really anything, and um, that worked in my favor because this big, um, this big turning point of her learning what her husband really thinks about something played to me as a surprise, even though I was actually seeing it very much the opposite of you. I was seeing it in, um, uh, at first I actually thought I was going to be the only person at the theater. Um, <laughs> and then right when the show was about to start, uh, two couples came in and then one more straggler. So there was six of us all together watching this thing very late on a Thursday night. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a really good movie. It's a really good story. Um, getting back to what we were saying off the introduction about stakes, uh, you watch, you watch these people really go through something and it's not, you know, the same thing as like watching one of their parents get sick or one of their children get sick, like those kinds of things. Yeah. It's not really... some big traumatic moment for no, them. No, no, but it is something that is very, very deeply affecting. And like, we've all had somebody in our life have one of these moments Mm -hmm. in their relationship where, you know, like things are just not clicking and you can tell. Um, and to that end, like it's, it's beautifully rendered. It's, it's short, sweet and to the point. I think it's like 85, 95 minutes, you know? Like, yeah. That's the thing I do appreciate about Nicole Holof Center's movies are nice and tight, not like overstaying their welcome. Um, we've, you know, we've been bantering her name about quite a bit already. Um, if people don't know, Nicole Hall of Center is the uh, director who gave us movies like um, Please Give, Lovely and Amazing years and years ago. Um, quite recently, she did uh, Enough Said, which was, um, I think it was the last film role by James Gandolfini. If not, it was one of his last roles. Yeah, I believe um, so. Like you said, really economic filmmaker who just knows how much of the story is sufficient to get the point across and doesn't belabor, um, you know, any of her points. Yeah. It would have been a mistake if this went on for like a standard two hours or even like nowadays with movies being like two hours, 15 minutes or even two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I could not really imagine the story stretching for that long a period. And I think it ended where it needed to end. She's actually able to make these people quite, um, humane quite relatable like these are 
some reasonably well-off people. They're not exactly what I call upper class. They're they're certainly not working class. You know, like they're yeah. they're comfy. Um, they're they're all intellectual. You know, we've got like artists, we've got interior designers, we've got an actor, we got you know a bunch of writers. So mm-hmm. it's it's not exactly like you know a, a blue collar world. Uh, so there there is some privilege involved, but it's still something where um, everything is kept on message and it's not turned into this woe is me type story. I'll be honest. I have not seen a lot of her like TV work. So I haven't watched all of Seinfeld or all of Veep or the new adventures of old Christine or anything. So I've only seen her kind of here and there. Hmm. Um, But I think she struck a good balance of like kind of the comedy elements of the movie with just like the situation she's in that, as you've mentioned, pretty much all of us can relate to like, being told or telling like a little white lie to someone we care about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just kind of um, bringing levity to, I guess her like being hurt by something that could seem kind of like petty or um, not that important, but um, and then also just kind of the way she works with the other actors on screen, Tobias Menzies, her husband, Michaela Watkins, her sister, and then even Jeannie Berlin as her mom. Yeah. I really enjoyed seeing her, by the way. And the audience at my screen was clapping when she showed up. So that was another highlight. Remind but me, What is she known for? Like, I know her name and I, I certainly have I've recognized her, but I couldn't think about like why. So she was Oscar nominated for The Heartbreak Kid, which her mother, Elaine uh. May, directed. It's right, 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 right. And she was recently in the Fablemans too, um, as she's one, one of the, the relatives. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I actually finally watched the Heartbreak Kid uh, a few months ago. Like I I did not. <laughs> spoiler alert, people! I did not watch it through legal means because it's really hard to find. Um, it's really unfortunate. It should be more widely available because then it would be more known as a comedy classic as it deserves to be. Known. That movie's dark. It, I mean, yeah, you would yeah, expect yeah, that, that movie is so messed up. I, um, if Tiff, if you're listening, I really want you to do another Elaine May retrospective so that I can see the Heartbreak Kid on a big screen, kind of like what we were talking about before with Nashville. Um, yeah, no, she's she's wonderful in this movie. She's not in it for terribly long. She's got like I think like two or three scenes. Um, yeah, and, you, know, you can see where. Uh, where Beth and her sister get some of their hangups. Um, you know, she does the typical mom thing of you know the the daughters want to take some potato salad to go and she's like oh, just wrap it up in tinfoil and she opens a cover yeah. just like shelves and shelves of Tupperware. towers of- yeah but the mom just not does not want to put yeah. with any no just wrap it up in tinfoil when you don't wrap it up in tinfoil you get no potato salad it's it's you know it's those kinds of what i like about that is that is very very relatable you know getting back to mm-hmm. what we we're talking about about this movie's stakes and this movie's uh, relatability, regardless of class, all of us know that person that just will not let you borrow the book, will not let you take the Tupperware, you know, whether they're old, whether they're young, like we've all had that person. Yeah. And what I do like about, I guess, this contained story is that these characters are already feel very lived in. So you're just oh, yeah. almost like stepping into their lives as far as, um, how the scenes play out. It's quite elegant in the way that it explains um, a lot of what it explains, you know, whether it is um, Dawn's 
therapy, like watching him really kind of struggle to keep his patients on message or, or even sometimes recall which patient is which, or whether it is, um, you know, Beth watching her students come up with some really extraordinary stories and just kind of seeing that look <laughs> to in say her the eyes. least <laughs> yeah seeing that look in her eyes of oh dear god um you know it, both in terms of being impressed and in terms of being um you know just just <laughs> overwhelmed by some of the ideas um yeah we the, all of these things they're they're all very economical um in the way that they they go through um I think another one of the things that I really was um, drawn to with this movie is the insecurities of thinkers. Um, you know, like, like everybody in this movie is every, every single person in this movie is smart. There's not a single stupid person in this movie, but I think it, it the movie actually says something to uh, the burden sometimes <laughs> like, like what's the, the, you know, the saying is ignorance is bliss. And sometimes you can see why, because when we get to this moment of crisis, when Beth gets to the moment of realizing that Dawn has not been so forthcoming with her, that all of a sudden shakes a lot of what she thinks of him and what she can trust. You know, if she wasn't so smart, she probably wouldn't care. She'd just fluff it off as, well, you didn't like my book and I'm just going to be mad about it. But the fact that she is as smart as she is and he is as smart as he is. Mm-hmm it actually really throws a hand grenade into their marriage. Did you see that? Like, you know, the kind of the burden of having a brain in your head in this movie? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, cause I think the thing the movie is trying to get across is like, is it better to lie a little about your opinion on someone's work and as a way of kind of encouraging them to push forward or would yeah. it be better if they got the honest truth and sometimes that could be painful to receive yeah yeah um and i mean i think like i, I think that there was a place for what don did but not the way don did it you know like he he talks about having read i think he literally says hundreds of drafts but he's mm-hmm, read yeah. many, many, many drafts of this project that she's been working on and he did not like it for a long time and just never said anything. I think there's, you know, I think that it might be one of the takeaways from this movie is there is a way to challenge somebody creatively or certainly challenge them intellectually and not just bury your dislike of what they're doing. Yeah. Just to, to be supportive. Yeah. 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 And one character we haven't really touched on yet is their son. Who's a budding playwright. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a scene where he kind of confronts his parents, mainly his mom, about the way um, she criticizes or lack of criticism for um, his work. Or he mentions a past incident of taking swimming lessons and just yeah. her kind of being overly complimentary when she should have kind of brought it down to like brought it down to earth and just kind of been more realistic about the expectations that she was putting on him. You know, you, you raise it, you raise it in, as a, in an interesting way because it, it's very much the opposite of what she's just gone through. She's just gone through, you know, the, the concealment of hidden criticism. And he goes, you know, there's, there's the, the other side of this is when somebody's overly effusive 
And it still is, it's, it's also as hurtful because you're not what they say you are. They just really want to be nice. Exactly. And to you up. Um, yeah. You know, that I think was the moment where this movie got a little bit more special um, because it's very easy to have a story where a husband and wife are struggling over the truth in their, in their, in their marriage, but to bring it back to their family unit and say, you know, the truth can actually be harmful. Like you say, um, mm-hmm. that is something that you don't see all the time in a movie like this. Yeah. And then also just with the way she interacts with her son is also in response to the way her father interacted with her kind of yeah. doing the complete opposite as she brings up to her mom saying that he would call her stupid. So she wants to make sure her son never feels that way and just being like, you're brilliant, you're fantastic, when really maybe he's just, you know, an average kid. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah that's, the, that's the thing. Like, he's in this moment of deciding what he wants to do next. You know, like, he's graduated from school, he's running a dispensary, <laughs> yeah. which... Sure, why not? It's a it's a it's a growing business. Um, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's. I think what I like about this movie is that it asks us, what do we want from the truth? You know, like do how really and pardon the pun, really and truly, how honest do we want people to be with us? Yeah, it's a really fine line because obviously you don't want to, as the title implies, you hurt my feelings. Yeah. You don't want them to. Um, kind of just take the pain of the truth and instead of maybe like the criticism that's within it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't want to just kind of bury it and just be nice about it like her husband was trying to be. And I mean, what I like about it is it it is a very, it's it's a very complicated thing. And we can see both Beth and Don wrestling with it. Um. I, I, you know, quite, quite elegantly, like we can see them trying to work this through without, you know, without yelling, without throwing things, without any kind of histrionics that you'd see on like reality television. But you can see that they are very, very much aware of the change in their relationship, sometimes in a humorous way, too. Right. Like we get we we ultimately pay all this off with a joke about their gifts and yeah. how their gifts have become something only because neither one of them could be honest with the other. It's kind of like this weird funhouse mirror version of the gift of the Magi. Um, exactly. But yeah, it's 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 a film that asks a really complicated question. Um, it, it, you know, in in all kinds of ways that you've expressed, and leaves it to us to to process while we're laughing about potato salad and while we're laughing about, you know, mothers literally smothering their children to protect them, what we want, uh, you know, in, in, in service of the truth in our relationships. There's not really any answers that the movie provides at the end. Cause they're still working on yeah. how they want to be honest with each other. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, there the, really is no answer to it. You just no, kind of have to work you, through it with the person yeah, people you know, that you care about. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the film's ultimate thesis is you have to be aware of it. You know, you can't just put it in a box and, and just take it for granted. You have to be aware of it. And once you are aware of it, you're going to have to navigate it either by, you know, by facing it or by sometimes by holding it back and, and understanding where that line is. One thing that I did really appreciate 
as someone who is an older sister of two other sisters, is the sister dynamic between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Michaela Watkins. Um, I think originally they were actually just supposed to be friends, but Michaela insisted that they play sisters, and I can't even see it any other way because they actually do look pretty much alike. Yeah, I was noticing that. But I do like their dynamic, even um, after Beth is confronted with what Dawn thinks of her work then she's talking about with her sister and her sister's like well why don't you let me read and she's like oh no you don't read (laughs) like just kind of knowing each other that well again the way they interact with their mom and just seeing how the two couples also come together and this kind of blow up of a dinner conversation (laughs) yeah it's it's a nice little touch um you know it's got earmarks of um some other older classic movies, um, for sure, uh, interwoven in there. It it extends out this beautiful chemistry of this, you know, this very small community. It's not a big cast. It's a lot of Dawn's patients, and then you know, basically this immediate family of mm-hmm. the two couples, their son and their mom, and that's basically about it. You watch their relationship. There's a lot of things said and unsaid watching them sometimes where it's like okay you're gonna have to talk to her because i'm gonna i'm I'm not gonna be able to do it and not be rude you know like yeah like those, those kinds of things where there's 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 usually like a a sibling shorthand of can you do this because i i can't you know like those kinds of things yeah are, without over explaining yeah those kinds of things are really very present between beth and sarah um, and I love the way that, you know, their, their dynamic just kind of continues to, to kind of twist as this thing continues to unfold. Like when they go to this, um, designer boutique oh, that, yeah. uh, Sarah uses to, to buy furnishings for her, for her decorating business and Beth, you know, I don't know. I don't know why, like she must've just been in a mood, but she's like, making fun of the fixtures and yeah just not being cooperative in her sister's professional space yeah and, and her sister's like can you please act your age and respect what i do and she's just like why you know like like those kinds of things i love it because she doesn't get she doesn't get too petulant about it but she gets yeah. just bratty enough that yeah you can see that 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 little sisterly riff that two exactly. less people would probably really turn into a fisher yeah, and I could not really picture that being, again, a sort of friendly relationship instead of the sibling dynamic that they yeah. bring on screen. Yeah, totally. Um, this movie, uh, <laughs> this movie has things to say about therapy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I say that as somebody who's not in therapy, but um, watching Don's relationships with his patients is fascinating because we've got this absolute dumpster fire of a couple by played by (laughs) david cross and amber tamblin a real Um, life married couple (laughs) a real life married couple who are just basically using dawn as a referee and not actually interested in in doing the work um you know we've got this we've got people who come in and just their souls we've got people who come in i'm thinking of like the the zach cherry character where he comes in and he's oh, yes <laughs> you know you can tell that he doesn't actually entirely know what he's doing because he does talk quite forthright 
about his relationship with his parent, with his father and his relationship with his siblings, but he doesn't exactly grasp on what Don is trying to pose to him as uh, yeah. ideas. And he just mumbles under his breath every time that, that, that things are, are, are. Ending. Yeah. Similar what, to yeah, the please. couple. He's kind of more just venting and just being stubborn and expecting something else to change in his life around him without him mm-hmm. putting in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have very limited uh, experience with therapy, but my understanding of it is that the job of the therapist is to get you there where you understand it yourself, not to tell you the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like most of his patients don't quite understand how the therapist plays into their lives. No, but at the same time, like, you know, kind of where, where we find Don and him saying that he's struggling with it, with it mm-hmm. in his own right. He's not helping his own cause either. Yeah. It's almost kind of like he's zoning out a lot during these yeah. sessions and not yeah. realizing, Oh wait, I'm supposed to actually contribute in some fashion. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to actively listen and not just, you know, like wait and, and ask the question about their parents. I, I, I really enjoyed what this movie has to say about therapy because, um, you know, it's it's still something that is taking on more and more of a role in Western society. It's something that a lot of people are very apprehensive about, something that, you know, we're you know, we've seen we've seen all kinds of things like everything from analyze this to Frasier. Like we've, we've seen yeah. therapy treated in all kinds of ways, but I, I like the idea in this movie that you can look at a bad therapist who's not, he's not inept, but at the same time you can see that one, he's not helping. And two, in some respects, his patients are not helping themselves. Yeah. It's kind of just like they're both sitting there or in the case of the couple, they're all three of them are just sitting there waiting for, something to happen you know you hear about a breakthrough but i don't know if you actually know what one looks like i certainly don't yeah i i mean i'm not (laughs) familiar with therapy in the same sense either so (laughs) So, i can't speak to it (laughs) they've they've heard of a breakthrough they've just never seen one before i love the way in this movie that every realization ripples outward you know i mean every you're a writer i'm a writer every writer is just terribly self-conscious about their own work and it doesn't take much um so anytime so watching beth have that realization of somebody really close to me doesn't like my writing either watching that ripple outward like to her students to her sister to her her son same thing with don like the you know the idea that he is a bad therapist watching that go forward into his yeah like what does that say about me as a person yeah it's 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 really beautiful in this movie to see these pebbles dropped in the pond and watch the way the ripples move. Another thing I thought of was, or that I appreciated was how they kind of shown a spotlight on male aging in mm-hmm. the way that they usually do with women. Cause another thing that Dawn is very self-conscious of is just, Oh, I have bags under my eyes. I think my patients can see this and just kind of asking Beth's opinion on what she thinks of him just from a outside view and not just inwardly. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really fascinating because he, he's, 
he's worried about appearances. Like it's, it's funny because his office is not considering that his sister-in-law is a decorator. His office is not exactly what I'd call swank. You know, his office looks like an academic office. And I mean, you know, consider the source on this, a lot (laughs) of books behind him. Um, You know, just couches that look like they're probably bought from not quite Ikea, but like probably from Wayfair. He's not exactly projecting somebody who has the answers. And yet all of a sudden he starts to worry about his own appearance when it's like, you know, you could start with other things besides surgery, dude. You know, you don't have to worry about fixing your face. Why don't you throw a coat of paint on the walls and maybe that will give your your uh, clients a different impression. Yeah. And maybe as one client point out, clean out the trash can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He goes, why don't you ever clean out the trash can? It's always so full of Kleenex. And he says, oh, like I empty it when it needs to be emptied. But yeah, it's like up to the brim. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's one of those things where your space uh, says something about you and he's completely neglecting that part and only focusing on the superficial, right? It's the same as the way that his brother-in-law is really, really particular about his socks. He's really, yeah. really particular about his face, but it's like, yeah, listen, your socks are important. You know, I, I'm not going to discount that and say that socks are socks if, if that's important to you. But so no one's looking place. down when they're talking to you. <laughs> no, there's a, there's way more places that you can start. Yeah, no, I did really lo- like that. That's one of those little differences that you can tell somebody like Nicole Hall of Center directed this film is that's not the kind of thing you see in, you know, a Sam Mendes type movie. I also like kind of the parallels between the two couples with one half being a writer and then an actor and then the others or the other two being, I guess, in a less creative field with therapy yeah. and interior design. They're all intellectuals. They're all creative and something like they're all creative thinkers, even if they're academics. Um, it's an, mm-hmm. it's an adult movie filled with adult conversations um, but yeah, in, in, in each case, you know, there's this really delicate balance of how they interact because nobody is, nobody's like an analyst. And I mean, analyst in terms of like numbers, nobody's a banker, yeah. nobody's a lawyer, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's working in a job where there is a right and wrong answer. Everybody has to be mindful of everybody else's feelings. And, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot yeah, of, it's all about opinion. not a whole lot of gardeners. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely all about just opinions with their chosen professions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, it's, it's an adult movie with adult conversations. Um, it could, if it wanted to, it could be a short series. Like it could be like a little, um, six episode 30 minute series Mm -hmm. about these people and their lives. And, you know, we find out the truth in episode four or something like that. Um, You know, but I, I, this is the kind of movie that I like that it still dots our landscape. I really love going into the dark for 90 minutes and watching people that I've met have this moment of crisis in their relationship because, you know, they discovered the text that they weren't supposed to discover, or they read the bill that they weren't supposed to read. Like these moments happen in our lives. And I like that there are still stories about them. Yeah. It's really a nice change of pace and especially to kind of be absorbed in a more grounded story where you can easily identify with the characters. 
if I had a favorite moment in this movie, what I loved is um, this very, very quick thing coming back to the Zach Cherry character, who is the you know one of the one of the patients in Don's um, practice, and Don decides to call him on the fact that when his sessions end, he can mm-hmm. hear him muttering under his breath. And for whatever reason, Jim deflects. Jim is like, no, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't me. We've heard him do it. We've seen him do it. We know he's done it. What I love in that moment is Don lets him drop it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know. I don't know why, but I love the maturity of, I'm going to challenge you on this. And, you know, the same way that he denied to Beth that he had said what he said. And she's like, yeah. you are full on gaslighting me right now. And he, mm-hmm. let's get, let's get real <laughs> in this moment. You know, Jim is not trying to gaslight him. Jim is, I think, first of all, Jim is embarrassed because he's been caught, exactly, but he can see that rather than dig in, in this dynamic, he may have a connection here because it's like, there's a grace in this. There's a forgiveness in this. There's an opening in this. And I don't know why, but I really, really love the way that he latches on to that opening and uses it as a way to actually connect with his patient. Yeah, because if he went the other way with just insisting like, oh, no, I heard you like more than once, that could yeah. have really damaged their professional relationship. Yeah. And, then and I think it, he did recognize that. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like for somebody who has been struggling, with his practice the whole movie long like it's it's kind of beautiful just to see him capitalize on this moment yeah and take it in kind of a unexpected direction in a sense because i think most people would want to be defensive about it just as they were at the dinner table with beth and dawn and how they approached that with him denying what happened even though she clearly heard what he said yeah we could sit here and like pull apart the whole movie scene by scene by scene, but I feel like that would be a, a disservice to this movie. And it's just, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I, I just really want people to go watch it, watch for these little things that are just so elegantly done. Things like that are just, you know, very, very nicely and neatly put into place. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like one of, Michaela's rooms. It's kind of like one of Beth's books that work. You know, when you watch it all in place like that, it's like, this is fantastic the way it all works together so well. Yeah, the way everything was kind of placed together. Yeah. We end every uh, review here on the Matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Um, Keisha, if you could keep anything from this movie, what would you keep? Well, I mean, kind of the premise of this whole movie is about this novel. So now I'm curious about what is in this novel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If not a copy of the book itself, then maybe one of the drafts just to see what that was like. Evolution. I like it. Um, I'm going to stay on brand for me. If people follow my Instagram, they'll probably won't be surprised. Uh, I want to go to that cocktail bar that Julia Louis-Dreyfus goes to. And she kind of, causing a rift with a lesbian with an unexpected lesbian couple uh, about the truth in their relationship. But it just, it looks so nice. It looks like the kind of place where a cocktail is probably something stupid, like 25 bucks. Oh um, yeah. You know, but it looks really, it did look pricey, but it looks 
pretty amazing to yeah. sit at that bar. Yeah, and I'm sure it exists too. So anybody who knows where that bar is in New York, please let me know because I do want to go uh, and have a swanky drink. Um, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Uh, Keisha, what would you give Nicole Hall of Centers? You hurt my feelings. I think I would give it a solid three out of four. I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed seeing it in a theater. And again, probably the audience reaction to it enhanced my view of it. But I mean, I had a good time with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And and it's funny because like, like we said earlier, like my experience with it was drastically different. I went with very few people. Like it, People weren't exactly rolling in the aisles at the jokes. I was laughing <laughs> kind of loud because that's what I do. Uh, but even then, like it was more, it was more of a chuckly movie than a laugh out loud kind of movie. But I'm happy to report that the festival goggles are not in play here, that the movie does work. <laughs> Um, I'm a little bit warmer on it than you are. So I'm going to give it a three and a half. It's a really lovely movie. Um, just fantastic work all around. I hope more people catch up with it. I feel like in the summertime, it's getting a little bit buried. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that this didn't come out back in April when we had that little opening of, yeah. you know, that, that little gap where a lot of indies can flourish. Um, yeah. Cause this came people- out like right before summer blockbuster season was like really kicking in. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's unfortunate because a movie like this is just going to get lost. Um, but uh, hopefully people get a chance to check out You Hurt My Feelings. Let us know what you thought. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. There's also Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What did you think of Nicole Hole of Center's new movie? We are going to take a very quick break and come back with a protracted other side right after this. So come on back. We're back. She's Keisha Howarth. I'm Ryan McNeil. See, I, I right there. I was almost I was, about to. I, I, was, I heard like, the hesitation. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm fighting it now. Like I know it, but I'm fighting it. Um, it's Matt Nikas, 307. We've been talking about you hurt my feelings. Um, it's uh, a shortened other side. It's a shortened episode because it's summertime. There's busy things going on, places to go, people to see. Um, and uh, it's the time of the, the podcast where we talk about other movies, further viewing, further reading uh, that you could go on to after you uh, watch the um, comedy at the center of this episode. Um, why don't you get us started? Where did you where did your brain go to um, after uh, watching Nicole Hall of Center's newest movie? So, I mean, one thing I didn't mention with the screen I went to is on a double feature with her first collaboration with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Enough Said. I mean, obviously, there's the connection with the two of them working together. But the movie itself is also about honesty and lies, but just to a different degree. Because Mm -hmm. this is not a little white lie that they're dealing with. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character befriending well, first meeting two different people at a party, befriending one of them, a woman, and then dating the other one who is a man. And mm-hmm. then she finds out that they're actually ex-husband and wife, but she doesn't tell either of them that she knows the other. So yeah. then it's just kind of like her juggling that truth and trying to kind of keep her lives with them the way she wants without kind of mingling and 
you know, dealing with kind of the ugliness of the truth of the, the, na- the nature of the whole relationship. It's an absolutely delightful movie. Everybody in it is fan bloody tastic. Um, you know, like the, the, it's, it's got a great cast, Tony Collette, Catherine Kinnear, James Gandolfini, as we mentioned before, uh, Ben Falcone, who people might know, uh, you know, he's, um, Melissa McCarthy's husband and shows up mm-hmm. in her films. Um, yeah, it, it's like you say, it's kind of, it's kind of a throwback to some, in, in a way, it's kind of a throwback to some of those screwball comedies, but without a lot of the verbal gymnastics. Um, her movies, what I like about her movies is they pull on threads of things like slapstick and, yeah. um, you know, uh, those kind of grown up comedies uh, by other um storytellers like Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig and another storyteller from before both of them who shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I love the way she does it. And I think bet- like between the two of them, I think enough said is stronger. Um, I agree with that, but you know, I, I love them both for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do also, you know, I love, Anytime we get to see James Gandolfini not play Tony Soprano, because I feel like a lot of people just got used to him in that realm, and he was capable of so very, very much. Um, so seeing just a little bit more, a different side of him, I think is one of the things that makes Enough Said worth seeing. Yeah, he was definitely my favorite part of it. And I mean, similar to Julia Louis Dreyfus, I've not seen all of the Sopranos, so I'm not familiar as familiar i should say with his most iconic character but i have seen him a couple other like dramatic roles like the man who wasn't there from the coen brothers oh yeah um but it was such a delight seeing him in this type of role in this type of movie but then also just like very bittersweet because as we mentioned earlier it was his last or one of his last performances and just it would have been so amazing to see him in other movies like this or even just beyond kind of like the violent dramas he was known for and just Mm -hmm. kind of seeing the breadth of his talent yeah yeah totally um one of the movies i i don't actually know why this came to mind to be entirely honest it's the first time i'm going with a vibe (laughs) to be okay to be quite truthful because Story-wise, there's not a whole lot of commonality. Um, Both films are directed by women, so there's that connection. They're both New York stories, so there's that connection. The story that I'm about to talk about is a little bit more working class than um, You Hurt My Feelings. But I went back to um, 1988, um, a movie by uh, Joan Micklin Silver called crossing delancey have you ever seen that movie yes i have seen that i love that movie okay good um amy irving uh peter reigert uh you know david hyde pierce is in that movie rosemary harris Mm -hmm. in that movie sylvia miles um she is uh, a bookstore um uh clerk who is um you know she's supporting authors so that there's that connection to of you know being in the new york literary society um and she is navigating her way through various relationships and she gains the attention of a pickle man, a, a, a guy, <laughs> you know, a guy who his, his, his character's name is Peter, who basically runs not quite a deli, but he runs like a food, 
supply business and where he's mostly mostly selling pickles and their relationship is uh interesting to say the least um yeah her her rabbi speaks up for him and her grandmother her booby speaks up for him and it's just such a sweet and charming movie that i kind of feel has gotten forgotten in the i don't know 30 years or so since it came out yeah i mean i feel like it is kind of getting some notice in recent years i mean they just played it at the TCM Classic Film Festival in Hollywood. I mean, I didn't get to go to that screen, but I would have loved to. There was just another movie playing. I mean, it's like you said, it's a charming romantic comedy. And I can see the connections with um, You Hurt My Feelings. I mean, they're still kind of like hiding the truth about certain situations within that movie, too. Mm -hmm. But like You Hurt My Feelings, it's a very New York movie. Yeah, as a non-New Yorker speaking another, about it's another, it. It's another movie where she doesn't really know how to articulate her feelings, her thoughts. You know, yeah. like we get into the situation where she, th- there's nothing wrong with the pickle man. There's absolutely like as a as a prospective date, as a prospective partner, he's wonderful, he's lovely, and she just can't articulate why she's not com- you know completely drawn to him. He has to like the this the the line that i always come back to in this movie is booby i'm being wooed because he sends her a hat um it's 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 a delightful movie and it's yeah it's one of these ones where you know amy irving um is in this it's one of the you know amy irving doesn't work a ton these days but um she, she's fantastic in it and yeah it's it's a movie that i think would make a great double feature what was one of the other ones that you had to go on to after uh you hurt my feelings so this is also an A24 movie that was released earlier this year, also directed by a woman. Um, Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up was one that I kind of thought would make make a good pairing with this just because it's also an insular world where, um, I mean, the stakes aren't high. It's about an artist trying to create art and also just feeding off of opinions and also dealing with other personal issues with family, friends, and colleagues, both being about creative people trying to reach the highest planes of their careers. I have been meaning to catch up with that movie all spring long, and I just have not been able to get my mitts on it. I bet you 20 bucks. It's probably on demand now, so I could probably watch it from my couch. So in a way, you're kind of trolling me. Um, Oh, no. I love Kelly Reichardt's movies so much. First Cow was, was you know. It, oh, I love First Cow. It, it was wild because First Cow, we saw it in 2020. It was like one of the only movies that actually yeah. came out in 2020. And um, it was one of the, the few movies that really made 2020 worth, worth you know, catch, keeping up with movies. Um, this movie, she's got a great cast here. She's got Michelle Williams, Hong Chao, Andre 3000, uh, John Magaro, who's having a great year because he's also in Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Um and tell people what this movie is about because it's another one of these little like very low springtime under the radar movies that's not going to get a lot of uh, attention when it's going up against stuff like Shazam and Creed 3 and those kinds of springtime movies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Michelle Williams plays an artist who's just trying to create her pieces for an upcoming art show but then she has to deal with kind of day-to-day problems with like her landlord or just the other people she works with while she's trying to finish these pieces. 
And then where she lives is kind of just kind of like a college town of artists, like trying to create their own art just in different spheres, like a pottery class or. She does a lot of organ movies. This is, is this another Kelly? Oh, this is an organ too. Of course. (laughs) Of course it is. I mean, I like, I like it, you know, like we have too many New York directors and LA directors. We need some directors who, who set their work in other places. Yeah. It's a nice change of scenery. It is. Yeah. And Hong Chow is a great addition to Kelly's cast too. Okay. And she plays well off of Michelle Williams. Oh, and also um, Judd Hirsch is in it as well. So that was a nice um, to see him there. Okay. I, yeah, I, I definitely want to catch up with this movie before the end of the year. Just as I said, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on a high from, from first cow. So I, I really do want to, to catch up with it. I adore certain women. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, it's, she's, she's very quickly become a storyteller whose work I, I cling to, um, you know, I think about stuff like Meeks cut off when we were talking about, um, stakes, like that's a movie that's all about stakes. Yeah. Um, in terms of the lives of the characters in the middle of it. Okay. Thank you for putting a fire under me and reminding me to catch <laughs> up with it because I, I will find it one way or another. I will, I will catch up with it soon. Well, my other one um, that I thought would make an interesting companion film to you hurt my feelings was I wanted to find another film about a marital disagreement, but the challenge when you get down to a marital disagreement is it, be- it can become torturous very very quick like you know you think about if you were in the space where two people were fighting you'd want to leave yeah right? like you would leave the it's room. awkward you don't want to be yeah. a part of that. <laughs> yeah exactly so thinking about a story where there's an argument in the middle of it and it still keeps you um is the challenge and one of my favorite films of the last decade one of my favorite films of the century so far um i think is one of the very very best ones that puts an argument at its core. Um, 2013, it was my favorite movie of that year. Uh, Before Midnight by Richard Linklater, the culmination of the Before trilogy, um, where we learn that Jesse and Celine have made a life together. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, after all the fairy tale theatrics of their one night together in Vienna and mm-hmm. then their reuni- reunion in Paris nine years later, we learn that life has been difficult for them both and that they, they, they're not quite at a fairy tale ending. Um, you know, they're, they're in a, in a difficult spot. And to, to be clear, the first two acts of the movie are actually quite um, charming, quite lovely, quite introspective. Um, and they yeah. go by largely, without any kind of speed bumps. It's, you know, just a wonderful walk around Greece. It's great. <laughs> You'll want to book a travel. He doesn't love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we get to this disconnect when they decide to like kind of go off and have this little like romantic night to themselves in this hotel. And an argument kind of bubbles up out of nowhere, as many arguments do. Anybody who's in a long-term relationship will tell you mostly, <laughs> mostly, most of the arguments you have will just kind of come out of nowhere and be seem like they're about one thing, but they're really about something else. The what makes this movie so incredible is the argument at the center of it. When we get to that third act, they're both right. You know, like that. That yeah. the, it couldn't be an argument where one of them was so deeply deeply wrong and was just defending themselves like they are both very much in the right in terms of the positions that they're arguing and yeah. you're just watching them 
see how they will be able to navigate it, if at all. I mean, again, it's kind of like how when you hurt my feelings, just kind of getting over the stubbornness of the two sides and just kind of reaching a point of understanding. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's kind of like one of the analogies I always use is it's kind of like when you've been sick and you've got nothing left to throw up. You know, like you've got that queasy moment and it's like, okay, do I push it and start eating crap again or do I let oh myself my heal? Yeah, it, that, that's that's very much what it's like with, with, with an argument. You know, like you can try and try and eat something new, but it's not going to go well. Um, yeah, I, I think that they would make a great double feature. Um, you know, I probably play You Hurt My Feelings first just because I think that Before Midnight is a masterpiece. Um, the whole trilogy mm-hmm. is a masterpiece, but that that capper, it's like if you're going to go back there, that is somewhere unexpected where it went, somewhere perfect that it finished. I never want them to do another one. I know that they've they've teased it a yeah. few times. I kind of I'm satisfied like, with where they ended up. I don't yeah. need them. I, I mean, like, obviously, I'd go see another one if they oh yeah, put one too. out there. But me too. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of feel like once we got past the nine year mark from before midnight, exactly 2022, and there was no before. I'm like, okay, we're after before. Yeah, we're good. And yeah. I do like compared to the other two, which kind of were, as you said, more fantasy in a way with just like the way they met and reunited that mm-hmm. this third one is much more grounded and dealing with very real issues that people deal with in their relationships. It reminds me a lot of that last shot in The Graduate. Mm-hmm, yeah. That, that what did what happens after moment. Yeah. That, that, that washing over where the camera stays on them after they finish laughing and it's like, shit, now what? Yeah. We got away with it. Now what? <laughs> yeah, it's an entire movie of shit. Now what? I love it. I mean, I'll just mention quickly that they did name drop one of my favorite movies and you hurt my feelings that I think is well worth anyone's time. It's a seventies movie called an unmarried woman. Starring Which Jill Claver. Scene remind me. I mean, the title kind of says it. it's a woman trying to kind of get back on her feet after her marriage falls apart and just exploring her sexuality with other men and you know, getting her footing. And then it's also in New York. Mm-hmm. So there's that connection as well. Um I feel like I, I just saw it recently too. Kelly Bishop, Michael Murphy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no. directed. oh yeah. yeah, this movie's awesome. Um, I, yeah, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, no, this movie is incredible. Um, it's, it's another one of these ones, kind of like what we were talking about with um, uh, the heartbreak kid. That's a little tough to track down. This one turns up on Turner every now and then this one turns up on Criterion channel every now and then um there's a physical edition on criterion that you can get (laughs) well i mean of course you know if we're going to talk about if we're we're going to go old school yeah of course um yeah that you're right it comes up somebody mentions it within the scope of the plot of this movie and um you know it's 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 not quite as light and breezy as uh (laughs) true very true um, you hurt my feelings but it's certainly i i put it like I'd, I'd make it like the first one and then have you hurt my feelings as the deserty chaser. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of going about a double feature of those movies. Good call. Very good call. Yeah, there we go. Some good movies um, for your consideration uh, on this episode, along with the the main one that we talked about um, in the new slang. And um, that's it. That's episode 307. We're keeping it short and sweet uh, in the middle of June so you can enjoy your summer and maybe catch up with some of these movies. And and I am very, very thankful uh, that Keisha was able to come by on uh, on short rest and uh, and help me out with this episode. Come on back on Monday, June 26th. We are going to be talking about past lives on episode 308. Have you seen that yet? I did see that. I'm yeah. looking forward to listening to that episode. Oh, sweet. Okay, good. Uh, at least I have one person who's going to listen to that episode. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Keisha can be found um, on Twitter, on Cinema Cities, uh, of course, on Letterboxd. Is there anything you want to plug coming up that you're working on? No, just laying low. I mean, I'll admit I'm not really updating social media as often anymore, especially Twitter because of well, yeah, because no of circumstances. That, yeah, but I'm always it. logging movies on Letterboxd, so you can follow what I'm watching on there. Yep, I will uh, leave a link um, in the show notes if people want to follow Keisha on Letterboxd. Please do so. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca. You can also find them in all of the usual places. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio Public. If it's a podcast platform, I'm probably there. In the odd chance that I'm not, let me know. I'll put my show there. Everything gives you anyways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on You Hurt My Feelings can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I'm still sort of there-ish. Matinee underscore CA. And there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Keisha? If you're going to the theater, please behave. Because when I did see past lives, someone took off their shoes next to me. What? Fortunately, I was wearing a mask, so I didn't smell anything. But... This is not your living room. Oh. You're in public. Please behave. What, what's wrong with people? Like, I mean, I, I think, you know what? I think that because we spent a few years in our living room that people just kind of forgot. And we yeah, have to. Yeah, pandemic brain. Yeah, it was, people. it was already like, behavioral. Was already like right on the cusp when we all went home and it just, it just fell right over. You know, please be considerate when you're in a public theater. <laughs> please be kind people. For Keisha, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.